Hello and welcome to the Hiring Enablement Podcast. My name is Gavin Spears, CEO of Solutions Driven, a global recruiting partner that guarantees right first-time hiring. In today's episode, we're going to talk about proactive talent strategies that drive exceptional candidate experience. And I'm delighted to be joined by Natasha Austin, Head of Global TA at Ornoa. Natasha, welcome to the podcast, and we'd love to hear a little bit more about you, your current role, previous roles, etc. Thank you, Gavin, for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Um, yes, yeah, so my name is Natasha Austin. I am the head of, of TA globally for Ornua, uh, which means new gold in Irish Gaelic. We are um, a global food and beverage manufacturing organization. Uh, you might know us by our brands, Kerry Gold Butter and Dubliner Cheese. We also have an ingredients business um, uh, across the world as well. Uh, and I've been with the organization just over a year now. Um, previously, I spent over a decade within executive search. So I uh, kind of grew up within that space uh, and at a company called Lucas Group, which was a US kind of nationally focused executive search firm. Uh, my functional expertise was in HR placement. I was candidate based, uh, client facing, sorry. Um, and then I also did some work within uh, the IT space as well, but functionally um, or industry specific uh, was around manufacturing. So light, heavy industrial, food manufacturing, CPG, those types of clients. Um, and then uh, I got to a point in my career where I was feeling a bit unfulfilled with not being able to kind of reap the, the, the fruit of my labor. Um, and so I actually wanted to go internal but I loved Lucas Group. So an opportunity arose for me to lead talent acquisition internally for that organization, which I did. Um, and then we were acquired by Corn Ferry um, and I was promoted to lead talent acquisition for the professional search business, specifically feet earners globally, which yeah. got me a taste of, of that global um, exposure, which I loved. Um, and then, you know, I, I kind of wanted to make a, a drastic move and, I didn't want to do the search world anymore, even internally. Um, and I wanted to do something that really shifted, uh, but I loved manufacturing and I had mm -hmm. built such a, a good experience and exposure to seeing kind of best in class and, and maybe on the yeah. other side of the spectrum as well of recruitment functions. Um, and Ornua presented itself. I'm originally from the UK, I'm from Wales. And so being an Irish company with a UK presence, having brands that I personally already was a consumer of with Kerrygold Butter, definitely the best in the U.S. Um, yeah. And so it was kind of all the stars aligned and it was a perfect opportunity. And so here I am today. <laughs> Fantastic. Great intro. Super. So, so I think at the start of this, I said today is really around, you know, a discussion on proactive talent strategies that really drive exceptional candidate experience. I mean, I think the word proactive is, is interesting. I know a lot of TA functions struggle to make that shift from reactive TA to proactive TA, but what's your thoughts on, you know, how TA functions can best help themselves, you know, move towards that more proactive approach? Yeah, I think there's, a, there's quite a few things that need to happen and or can help contribute to it. But I think the 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 first and probably most important one is that it's gotta be in mind that shift. Um, yeah. I think a lot of kind of old school reactive recruiting is that uh, common term people have heard the post and praying. Um, and so yeah. how do we shift from a post and praying to a hunter mentality? Uh, there are yeah. so many sources that people can choose from. So the problem isn't really finding potential candidates it's reaching passive candidates, right? Someone who's yeah. gainfully employed, not necessarily looking for a job. You know, they're not posted on job boards. They're not applying to opportunities, but they will 
network with maybe like one to two good recruiters that they trust um, and they yeah. listen to uh, to be able to hear about opportunities from time to time and consider kind of bettering their situation, right? Usually there needs to be some level of pain um, for them to want to maybe engage in, in a conversation. So yeah. you need to educate those types of, of candidates on your company so that mm-hmm. when the stars align, right, they have a need or a pain that they want to to look at something new and you have an opportunity that could match, you know, what would fulfill that for them, the relationship has already begun, that you already have built that relationship. So I think that kind of mindset shift is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so identifying, like, how do you do that? How do you make that mindset shift within your team? I think you need to identify first kind of current gaps on your team and then maybe implement trainings to fill those gaps. Some people have no idea how to do you know, a proactive reach out to a cold candidate or, um, you know, what tools are best. I think a lot of people neglect their internal database. Are you farming? So hunting is a key yeah. component, but farming as well. Candidates that have already applied to opportunities and maybe haven't been successful, but have expressed clearly an interest in your organization. Well, yeah. are you going there first? as your initial source, because that's actually a warm lead. They already know about your company. They clearly are interested just because the original opportunity maybe wasn't a fit doesn't mean that this new one couldn't be. Um, and so I think that's a, a shift that a lot of people need to make is that's their first stop. And then mm-hmm. there's things obviously like LinkedIn recruiter, there's trainings, but uh, that they can take to learn how to kind of utilize that database um, sourcing, but also posting, leveraging your network leveraging your network's network, um, you know, creating templates for them on how to engage um, with, you know, passive candidates and not taking no as, as an answer, the first no as an answer. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people do that. They'll maybe reach out, they'll get a thanks, but no thanks. And then that's it. And they let it die. Um, when we all know that it takes probably three to four reach outs usually or typically to engage someone, especially if there's no current pain. So how do you respectfully respond to them to try and just get a conversation, right? Like there's no commitment here. It's just getting to know what are your strengths? What are your skill sets? What are you really looking for in regards to that next opportunity? So that if and when we have one that fits that and can fill that for you, we can re-engage at that time. But also let me just tell you a bit about who we are, what we do and why maybe this is a great place to work. Um, I think creating talent pools within your database of those types of, of candidates that maybe weren't a good fit now, or we don't have a role for now, but it's the type of person you want in your organization. Yeah. Talent pools within your ATS are a great way to be able to um, to do that and then regularly engage with those individuals, mm-hmm. people that if you have a talent community within your ATS of, you know, you're not just giving them jobs, you're not just, you know, dropping um, opportunities into their mailbox, but also information that's relevant, whether it be about your organization or something exciting that's happened or the industry that you're in, that'd be good for them to know about. So you're offering them something of worth and it's not just about what can they do for you. Um, I think also building relationships with hiring managers around their headcount, um, building trust within your case stakeholders so that you're invited into you know those conversations around um, headcount and be able to influence those conversations from a planning perspective. So as an example, you know, say someone within finance knows that they're going to need this role in Q4. Well, if you're involved in those conversations at the beginning of the year, then in Q3, 
you can initiate conversations with that hiring manager of, okay, let's start looking now and having conversations now so that when you're ready to hire, we already have a pool of candidates that we can engage and hit the ground running as opposed to constantly chasing our tails and being reactive. Um, I think also influencing skills-based hiring is another way we move from reactive to proactive. And I think it's where the world is going of not necessarily needing someone that has a specific job title in their past or done a specific role, but what are the key skills that you need for this position? And then if someone has that without kind of this idea of a specific title they must have had or a specific role they must have had, but they have the skills that could do this role and the aptitude to learn, influencing, that's a huge, I think, shift in talent acquisition as we go into 2024 and beyond that is kind of cutting edge and uh, companies that that adopt that early are going to be leading out in that. But I think it's where the world is headed long term. Yeah. Um, and then also networking groups. I think recruiters are salespeople. We're selling opportunities to candidates and we're selling can, uh, candidates to hiring managers. So like a good salesperson, networking is key. So how, yeah. are you out there, even as a recruiter or whether you're a leader in TA or a recruiter or a junior recruiter, even networking is a, a really a definitive step that you can take to to build your network, to be able to engage more of that passive talent and be more proactive. Yeah. Um, and then also, I think something that corporate recruiters don't do enough of is asking candidates to open doors for people. So yeah. you may have had a candidate that you interviewed or considered for an opportunity or that you engaged with and they weren't interested in an opportunity and you kind of leave the relationship there without asking, listen, I wouldn't be good at my job if I didn't ask you, is there anyone within your network that you might know of that you might want to open a door for? Like, are we asking that question to candidates? Because that's then their network that we get to leverage. Yeah. So it's kind of this domino effect of who could open a door, who can open a door, who could open a door and eventually you land on an individual that is a, is a perfect fit and everyone wins, right? So- Six degrees are, of separation really, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So those yeah. are, I think, some of the key things. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a lot that I just threw out at you, but I think that all of that comes back to this mindset shift. Yeah. And if without the mindset shift, none of those things are going to be successful because they just mm -hmm. won't do them. Totally agree. I mean, the skills-based hiring piece is really interesting. We're doing a lot of work in that internally. I mean, research- would show that if you do it right, you can 10x your, your talent pool, um, yeah. which is really interesting. I spoke to a company last week, and it almost links to this kind of, you know, reactive, proactive. They said, historically, they were ready, hiring, as opposed to ready, aim, hire. And I thought, that, that's interesting, just to try and, you know, make the mindset shift. So, super. I know we spoke previously, and you're also very passionate about, you know, creating that candidate experience, you know, getting the right, um, I guess, process in place that makes that a positive journey but in your experience what do you think are the pillars that are essential when creating best-in-class candidate experience and, and how do you integrate that into your you know your TA journey yeah um I think there's kind of like three three big pillars that I think about um and the first one is not one that you can really chain uh train I think it's it's it, it, you do or you don't, um, and you have to be kind of unapologetic about, unapologetic about it, but it's actually caring, right? People are not widgets. I, I talk about recruitment as, as a sale, as a kind of similar to sales, but it, it's it's not widgets. It's not a tool. It's not a commodity. It's a, it's a person. <laughs> like we are dealing with people. Um, and so if we don't actually care about these people, then 
anything we do, that's going to come through, right? So if you don't care about people, then I don't think recruitment is for you uh, because changing jobs is in the top three most stressful yeah. things that anyone can go through and it impacts their life in a big way. So you have to care about that individual's experience or none of this is really worth, like what's the point of it, right? So, um, and that has to be like from the top down embedded into the DNA of your talent acquisition function. So if that belief is not held at the very highest echelon of your organization that we should care about people, um, and that means our people or people that interact with us, our customers, our candidates, whatever it may be, then that's not going to integrate into your DNA. So it's top-down approach, um, and I'm non-negotiable on this. So, like, if if you don't care, I'm we're not the right place for you, right? Because this is the it, it's an emotional thing. We've all gone through this. Not getting a job is really painful. Getting a job, just the whole process, is so stressful that yeah. anything we can do to help alleviate that, make it a positive experience, even if the outcome isn't what you want that's the goal right and we actually have and i don't i don't just want that to be the goal so that i look great for my company or we're successful as a company but because i because i actually care about yeah. someone's experience um yeah. and i think some of the the key things to do that and that sounds really simple but honestly it's what everybody fails to do is proactive and timely communication honest and authentic communication yeah. and when possible personalized now we know that especially in high volume, we can't be everything to everyone. We can't be personalized at, you know, if you applied to a job, but you've not been interviewed, we might not be able to guarantee like a personal reason why you're not moving forward due to volume. But yeah. when it's possible, we have to really, again, be non-negotiable on doing that. So if someone has given their time to interview, they've gone through multiple rounds of interviews, the least we can do is pick up the phone and call that person and explain why they're not moving forward. Um, and be honest about feedback. Like those conversations shouldn't just be to say, we're not interested, thanks, no thanks. It should be, here's why. And if possible, you know, constructive feedback as to maybe where they could improve or things that they could do next time, um, especially if there's an interest in them overall, but they weren't a right, the right person for this role, but we would love to continue for our company moving forward. Um, how do you maintain that relationship if you don't at least give them the respect of feedback, right? Um, timely is important. And when I say proactive, I mean setting expectations, but realistically. So if I know I can't get feedback to you for probably two weeks due to whatever it might be, other candidates interviewing, um, annual leave, time off, things like that, that's fine. I think candidates are fine to hear that as long as you tell them that up front. Like, yeah. I'm not going to be able to get back to you for two weeks, mm -hmm. but I will get back to you. Um, and then following through with that, the amount of people that get ghosted in the interview process. And if you're a recruiter and you've been a recruiter for any amount of time, you are lying if you say you haven't accidentally even ghosted someone. I know that I have yeah. been guilty of it. You get busy, balls drop, you forget. Anytime I've done that, where I, I've dropped a ball or I've forgotten, I will, as soon as I am made aware or I realize, I will still reach out to that person and I will apologize. Because yeah. I know how it feels like to be forgotten or never hear back. It's so deflating, especially in the market that we're in today. Uh, we just don't need to make life harder for these people or make them more disillusioned or negative. Um, and definitely not for my company, right? I don't want them to walk away and think like, I'm never going to apply there because they don't care or they don't yeah. respect my time or, or whatever that negative emotion might be. 
And all it takes is, is an email or a phone call um, to be able to kind of close that loop and give them that closure. That is, it sounds so simple. It sounds so easy, but I think it's the thing that people often fail to do and it impacts the biggest in relation to a, ne uh, a negative experience. Um, and then the third pillar is, is experience surveys. Are you asking your candidates what they think about their experience interviewing with your company? Because good, a good candidate experience can establish trust and loyalty with your applicants, which will then become, they'll become promoters of your company and enthusiastically boost your reputation as an employer, even yeah. if they were rejected for a position. Um, and if you're not asking them if their experience is good, then how do you know that their experience is good, right? Like we could think we have put the best process in place for candidates that it's like A plus, everything's great, but we're not the ones going through it. So how do we really know? Um, and if you're not asking them, then how can you know what you need to improve on or what you're doing great, celebrate that and continue to do it. Um, and yeah. so it, uh, surveying the candidate experience, I think is critical for every TA function. And if you're not doing it today, um, and you don't have, we all know TA budgets aren't always the most robust. Um, and if you don't have the ability to partner with someone who um, can do this in a robust way, we use a company called Qualtrics um, for our surveys and it's it's very robust and I, and I love it, but there's a lot of third parties you can partner with. And um, sometimes even within the ATS, your own ATS has this functionality, or you yeah. can even just create email templates through your ATS or through Outlook. Um, but you should be, you should be engaging with your candidates, both successful and unsuccessful candidates, to ask them what they think uh, uh, of your process yeah. so that you, you can improve or you need to from their experience, which is, again, caring, actually caring about their experience. Fantastic. I mean, I think the three pillars make a whole lot of sense. And, and as much as they sound basic, it's amazing how many companies don't get the basics right. And the basics make the biggest impact, you know, so... I really agree. Um, maybe maybe just looking at kind of today's environment. So it's uncertain, it's dynamic, things change. In your experience, what techniques do either you use or would you suggest other TA leaders use to really anticipate the needs of the business, you know, stay ahead of the challenges? And, and you're never going to get, you know, ahead of every challenge, but how do you kind of stay ahead of the curve in terms of what's coming from a recruitment perspective? I mean, I think engaging the business needs to be yep. included here as well um, mm -hmm. and having them be an active partner in, in you know, building talent pools or understanding like what's affecting your industry, what's affecting mm -hmm. your business. And the best way to find that out is to have strong relationships with your key stakeholders because they're in it every day. Yep. Um, I think also, obviously, uh, bettering, we can always better ourselves. None of us have ever arrived. Um, there's always things we can mm -hmm. learn. So. Um, attending conferences and engaging in networking groups and learning best practices from like-minded individuals, from peers, um, yeah. whether it be from recruiting trends specifically or industry specific. I think a blend of both is really um, helpful and, and critical. Um, I think also leveraging, you know, some of the things that are coming down the pipes from a, from a recruitment. I mean, it's a very dynamic landscape that we're in, right? Um, and I think everyone's talking about, uh, you know, AI is a big thing to get ahead of, of, of the trends. And I think the biggest thing that people can do to get ahead of, uh, of the needs and the recruitment challenges is strategic workforce planning. So 
in case you don't know what that is, what what that is, it's just getting the right people with the right skills in the right jobs at the right time, right? So yeah. how do we do that? Uh, leveraging data and analytics, that's critical. So really transforming the way that we look at talent acquisition, identifying trends, improving recruitment efficiency, making better informed decisions on who we hire, who we can tap into the power of data to kind of boost our companies, you know, up a notch or two, uh, making science data-backed decisions is, yeah. is key. Um, it also includes building a strong employer brand and employee value proposition. That's critical, right? Yeah. Uh, LinkedIn actually found that a strong employer brand reduces turnover by 28% and cost per hire by 50% uh, mm -hmm. just by having a better reputation and understanding of your company's values. So yeah. it, it helps you kind of stand out in what I would say is an incredibly competitive job market. Uh, yeah. For unemployment numbers are are so low still, um, and having a strong brand and and an EVP, why should someone want to work for you, uh, is really critical to that. And then also pushing internal mobility, right? Um, shaking up career paths. So this is kind of ties back to that skills based hiring. It's not just from an external lens in, but also internally, right? Influencing the shift to to skills based hiring and away from the traditional degree and job title requirements, you know, all kind of innovative ways, like what are some innovative ways to be innovative? Um, and it's really where everyone's headed. And like I said, I think eventually we'll arrive at. So do you want to be an early adopter and path paver or kind of slow to adapt more like a, a like a dinosaur, right? So um, I think those things, those key components of strategic workforce planning is one of the only ways that you can truly stay ahead of recruitment challenges. Fantastic. Great, great thoughts and answer there. Um, last one for me. So you've mentioned a couple of times technology, Qualtrics, you know, AI, chat GPT, everything that goes with it. But in, in your experience, you know, but not only what role does technology play, but what would be your advice to others who are overwhelmed, you know, don't know what to put into their, their process, where and how do you use it? How do you evaluate it, et cetera? Yeah, um, I mean, obviously, I think technology plays a part of it. Uh, you can do a lot with a little, though. So what you need to ask yourself is, where is the biggest impact going to be for my company? Um, and that might be different for each individual organization, depending on where you're at. Um, and some organizations might have a really robust budget and have all of the tools and, and toys. And, and some organizations may have, you know, a zero dollar budget. So what can you do with what you have? And that is going to require prioritization. So where's the biggest needs? Where's the biggest pain within your company? Um, if I could say like two that I think are kind of critical that if mm -hmm. you can um, focus on would be, as I already mentioned, surveys. Yep. I think that's number one. <laughs> Everything else can be done without technology, uh, but mm -hmm. you really, really need to be, be asking your candidates about their experience because it's the experience that really drives a lot of this. Um, yep. And then I think I'd be silly if I didn't mention AI. It is where we're headed. And there's a lot, I mean, the spectrum of AI is massive at the moment in regards to, you know, free chat GPT and how you can leverage that all the way up to the mo most robust AI um, kind of partners that you could do, uh, whether that be, you know, AI that doesn't replace the recruiter or take any roles, but just enhances their ability to do their job or AI that's so robust that it's, um, taking a lot of the kind of 
I would say low value administrative tasks away from, from your recruitment team so that yep. they can focus on the higher value added yep. tasks. And that would be more about the headhunting, proactiveness, engaging with candidates, that people component. Yep. Um, I know a lot of people are afraid of AI, especially in recruitment. Is this going to replace us? Will we still be needed? Um, recruitment is a people function. Like you will always need people in recruitment. No one's going to get fully hired through AI. Like there always has to be that human component. But I think what AI can do is help alleviate some of the stuff that really isn't adding a lot of value, but has to be done um, so that your time can be more focused on where does that connection really lie with candidates and and the recruitment team. And that's really understanding passive talent and what it is they need and um, being able to communicate the values of why someone should work at your organization. Why do you work there? Um, and being able to have more time to have those those types of conversations, free up more time to be able to provide feedback live to someone after they've interviewed, which improves their experience and makes them want to still work. I mean, I think at the end of this, the goal is that someone leaves your recruitment process if they haven't gotten a job that they still want to they they still want to work for your company, and so yeah. they're going to keep trying and they're going to keep coming back because and you sold them on who you are. Right, that's yeah. the goal. Um, that you they want you, yeah. so I think AI is 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 critical, and eventually again, it's where we'll all be. Um, but there's a lot of of options out there from very little and free to very robust and more expensive. Um, mm. But it's not a one size fits all, and it really depends on what's the pain and needs of your organization. So yeah. what's the best solution, and when when do you implement that? Fantastic. I mean, we talk a lot internally about the art and the science of recruitment and the, the kind of people buy from people. And I think there's no doubt <clears throat> the front end of the process, the sourcing, you know, the identification technology can help. But, you know, getting candidates to the table, you know, influencing them, you know, giving them comfort that this could be the right role, etc. You know, that's where definitely the human touch still still stands. But maybe just to summarise then, I mean, my last area was, was really around you know, in your career um, and a really interesting career that you talked about at the start of the call, um, what is your biggest learning, you know, through through that TA career and any advice you would give other peers? Yeah, um, I thought about this one for a bit. I was like, this is a big question. <laughs> um, yeah. So I really had to think about it. And I kind of came away with two, like one that's more of a personal learning and then one that's more kind of advice to, to peers. So um, I think the the personal learning for me and I learned this early on, and I think it's really helped me be successful, um, is defining your why. Uh, in yeah. recruitment, no matter if you're like in executive search or corporate recruitment, because we're dealing with people and people are unpredictable, inevitably, we will have what I call like a face planting moment where we just like, it's just so painful. <laughs> like you had the yeah. most amazing candidate and it's a great opportunity and it's been the hardest role to fill and at the at the end something's happened and it all falls apart and you're crushed right um and that can be really that can be really crushing and i call it a face planting moment because you have to kind of pull yourself up when you have that moment in your career and you will have it over and over again in your career no matter what level of ta you're in uh you inevitably ask yourself why am i do why do i do this like why am i in this job why am i in this role is do i want to do this like you ask yourself why and if you wait until that moment to be able to define that for yourself it's near impossible to authentically define it when you're in the middle of the pain 
Um, so when you're happy, when you're in a good place, when you're early, the earlier in your career, the better, because I don't think your why ever really changes. It might shift a little bit as your life grows and changes, but like typically our, our, our core drivers stay the same. Um, if you answer that and define that for yourself early on, then when you face those moments where you ask yourself that question, you already have the answer. And I think it strongly contributes to how quickly you can bounce back. Um, and that is really what can kind of propel you on and, and keep going and stay focused on what matters and let go of the stuff that doesn't. Um, and you maintain your joy within within your chosen field of, of, of yeah. work. So I think that was probably the best thing I ever learned and did really mm -hmm. early on. And I think it strongly contributed to some of the decisions I've made in my career and the success that I've had in my career um, because I've held that I've had that at my yeah. core. Um, and then advice. I think right now in particular, because of, you know, post COVID and organizations have to shift so drastically and now things are starting to settle um, and companies are starting to kind of ask themselves again, okay, who do we want to be? Who are we and who do we want to be? Um, and I think some companies, a lot of companies are still in this, like, we need to please all candidates. We need to be everything to everyone. We need to meet them where they're at. Um, and are kind of starting to lose a bit of their identity of who, yeah. who they are and why they are who they are and who they want to be. Um, and yeah. so I think all organizations and especially in TA, because we are kind of the face of the company when it comes to the recruitment process, we're the first people they engage with, we're the ones delivering the message about who we are. We have to get to a point where we're kind of unapologetic about it of, okay, yeah. who do we want to be? What do we want to protect? What decisions do we need to make to protect who we are and who we want to be? And then at some point we have to be unapologetic about it, which means we can't be everything to everyone. Yeah. We what we need to to know is who we are, and then is does that align with who you want to be, or who you want to work for, or the kind of company you want to be a part of? And it has to be okay if that answer is no, right? We because mm -hmm. we can't be everything to everyone. Otherwise, there'd only be one company in the whole world that we all worked for yeah. if we were all aligned. Like we have different drivers, motivating factors, things that matter to us. Um, and so, yeah, I think that to my to peers at the moment, I think, you know, influencing that, that like, hey, guys, we need to make some dis key decisions. Um, we need to settle on who we are post-COVID. I think the dust is settled. We can finally kind of define that more clearly. And then, you know, be proud of that uh, and, mm -hmm. and be okay with, you know, the individuals that maybe it doesn't align with. And like, that's not a bad thing to, to discover that like, hey, we might not be the best fit for you or vice yeah. versa. Um, and be honest and authentic about that. Someone can still walk away from that experience being like, well, I'm really glad that yeah. we, we, we got to that place in a healthy way. So yeah. yeah, that would be my advice to my peers and my learning lesson. Excellent. That was so insightful. I mean, probably one of the best conversations I've had <laughs> um, and really good insights. I think the face planting is so true, you know, and, and a good analogy. So I think first well, of all, I, thanks I still have a pride. I did not come up with that. Um, I don't yeah. know if you watched Simon Sinek's uh yeah the, yeah, the, yeah that that one yeah. is hugely influential so uh yeah I, I stole I stole that with pride <laughs> yeah no it's, it's a good one it's worth stealing so so I think in summary thanks to listeners I hope you've enjoyed this episode please do feedback if you've got any specific topics that you would like me to discuss in future but most importantly thanks to Natasha I thought that was absolutely excellent and really do appreciate your time thank you thank you so much no worries thanks Natasha